Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 379. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we look upon the legislative history of Jim Jordan and wonder, does he like legislating at all, even? I am your host, Nagin Farsad. And, um... I just, is there a way we can bring back Tip O'Neill from the dead? Because he feels like the only person who can wrangle this mess of people that we have to deal with. <laughs> Folks, as a, as a professional podcaster, they tell you to silence your phones. And, um, boop, there it is. And that's, and that's me silencing my phone. <laughs> this is a really professional operation. Today, we'll talk about that political mess and the mess that universities are finding themselves in with the statement making. We'll also talk about the great therapist psychic divide. And finally, a new study finds that yelling is bad for kids, which seems obvious, but I guess it's nice to have research on it. Today, I'm joined by, oh my God, what an incredible panel. This panel, folks. First of all, this, um, we're joined first by this this woman who just casually in the frame has an Emmy, just like sitting in her Zoom frame. She's not in studio with us. Um, so we can see not only an Emmy, but like a very vintage typewriter. Um, she is just like a well, I mean, just like a decorated journalist. She was um, an executive producer at Vice uh, for long enough to win Emmys, plural. Um, she uh, She's currently at Meteor. Um, she's just, I, and it's funny because I can never keep track of where she is because she's always just on the go, on the rise, fucking killing it. She's also co-host of In Retrospect. Um, it's called In Retrospect with Susie Bani Karim. Uh, and and your other co-host, whose name I'm blanking on. Jessica uh, Bennett. Jessica Bennett. And she's just all around fantastic. Also, last um, accolade, she's Iranian. Folks, yes, come um, on, does it get any better than <laughs> Susie Bani Karim? I'm going to try and live up to this introduction. I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to try. Uh, I, I mean, I just, my, my goal is to have a, a podcast length introduction of you one day, just 45 <laughs> minutes of me introducing you. Um, also joining us on the show today, He's an old buddy of mine. Um, and so we've, uh, 
we've been in uh, weird vans in Ohio together, which sounds like we were abducted together. Um, in some ways, we were. Uh, but we've done so. He's I mean, he's the founder of Drinking Liber Liberally, which is one of my favorite social mobilization organizations. Um, he is a campaign director at MoveOn.org. That's what he's primarily known for. But he's also written books, plural. Um, he's just a he's also a former improviser. But are you ever not an improviser? I think you're al always just an improviser in life. Uh, life is one improv game. Uh, as some, as no one said, <laughs> um, and he's just really smart, really funny, uh, and and knows everything about politics. It is the one and only Justin Krebs. Yes, and uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be here today. So happy to be here uh, with both of you as the non-Iranian, non-award-winning member of this panel. Um, um, wait, didn't you? I feel like you won an award, a citation from the city or something. Uh, citations and awards, so different. Once you arranged that I won a citation from the city <laughs> of New York. <laughs> do you remember that? Anyways, um, do you not remember this? What did you get the citation for? For um, being a, a great humanitarian. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. An exceptional like, Iranian. I'm like a midwife Iranian. to other people's citations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what you are. And folks, before we get into the show, I just want to remind people that they can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad to support this show, the show that casually brings together people like Susie Benny Kenim and Justin Krebs and all these wonderful voices that we have on the show every week. This is our 379th episode. And right now you might be enjoying this episode of Fake the Nation. You might also be enjoying a recap episode of The Golden Bachelor, which drop, drops on Friday. Um, so you're getting... Two, two for one. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad and you can subscribe to the show and support the show um, and make sure that the show keeps on um, living to more episodes. Um, and also, I was formerly sick. I kind of had laryngitis or whatever. So that's why my voice sounds like a little messed up. All right, here we go. Let us get into it with topic number one. Our fearless producer checks in on the New York Post so that the rest of us don't have to. <laughs> and this week he found a gem. There is a piece that is making the claim that more and more New Yorkers are opting for psychics instead of therapists. And New York sets a lot of trends. So this might be happening in your hometown soon enough. My question to both of you is, does this sound true? Have you heard of this? Is this a trend you've recognized in your uh, among your own people? Are they going for psychics instead of therapists? I mean, okay, this is a classic New York Post reporting exercise because they found <laughs> a total of one person who has done this. They're like, one person has switched from therapy to a psychic, and mm -hmm. so it's a trend. So that part is classic in and of itself because I don't believe that this is like uh, sweeping the nation. But also, even the psychics in this article are like, this is not a good idea. And also, I just want to point out the third thing about this that's just classic is they're also like, most psychics are scammers. So even the psychics are not selling this concept. So, I mean, if you don't want to go to therapy, don't go to therapy. And I I've been to a psychic. No shade. Like, you know, we're Iranian. We believe in mysticism. Oh, and for sure. Yeah, I, I believe the universe well. Yeah, has messages for us. But you know, it's not a replacement for therapy. I think we can all agree. In terms of whether it was true or not, I immediately went to my psychic to ask. And, <laughs> and she said, no, it's not true. No, I, I, I was struck similar to what you just pointed out um, about the article. It seemed like most of the psychics interviewed were also white women. Uh, it was like a very particular demographic of psychic. And I don't know if it represented all psychics in New York. I don't know if it represented the people who were going to psychics, but I was struck that there was not a lot of diversity among the psychic as given how many different cultures, as you just pointed out, would have spirituality, would believe in, in, in celestial forces, something greater than we see every day. Uh, but no, I have not heard of anybody who has quit therapy to go to a psychic. Uh, and in fact, since the pandemic, I've only heard of more and more people going to therapy, individual therapy, couples therapy, family therapy, children's therapy, parenting therapy, dog therapy, cat therapy, every sort of therapy that's out. I'm sure there's real estate therapy. We're in New York. <laughs> uh, and I, I would love to see more psychics getting into this realm, but I have not um, actually experienced that in my own life yet. You know, I would say the one thing that I have experienced in my own life is, I mean, again, like I'm an Iranian, so yes, 
have ha, do I know people that are like let's read your Turkish coffee grounds <laughs> absolutely you know what I mean oh yeah tarot cards like psych other forms of mediums whatever yes th- that happens also I'm a comedian so double whammy comedians love that shit um I would say the thing that I find that people are looking more and more for are people that will tell them something directly. Hmm. And therapists can't do that, right? Therapists have to like help you, shepherd you into your own realization about something. And that can be frustrating and it could take a really long time. And you just wanna say to your therapist, like fucking tell me the thing, <laughs> tell it. I know you know the thing, tell me what it is. And um, and so I think that is something that people may, if, if in fact this reporting based on a sample set of one is true, um, then I think what people are like yearning for is just declarative, definitive statements about their lives from the point of view of another person, uh, which I think also is something that I get out of um, like brunch. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. I mean, I think the other thing is, as someone who has gone to therapy for a very long time, I've kind of worn my therapist down now. So she does Mm. tell me what she thinks. Like it took a long time, but just like, you know, if you just keep at it, eventually they just, you know, they break down and they start giving you advice. You just have to stick to it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I also think, well, the other interesting thing about this trend to me is that therapy seems to be a lot about like, well, unless it's like cognitive behavioral therapy, which I guess is like a different approach, but more traditional therapy. And even in in CBT, they like ask you about your past. And so I wonder if people are like in this, I'm going to just, I'm going to just make some sweeping crazy analyses right now in this post-pandemic world first yes, of all okay. fucking shoot me in the face already i hate starting sentences that way <laughs> but in this post-pandemic world um people are like don't want to look to the past they mm. want to look to the future you know what i mean i feel like there's this thing of like that therapy is just like what happened in your childhood in the same way that like i can't handle watching like a tv show or something like that's set in the pandemic i don't want to remember oh God, those neither. times i don't want to think about it it's over for me like it not that i understand it. it's not over don't at me but like i you know <laughs> it, it, but that that era of it is over and and it's like, I don't want to like stew in all those things anymore. I don't necessarily want to stew in my childhood or whatever. Like I get that people kind of want a forward thinking future attitude, mm. which ridiculously a psychic may provide, <laughs> which is so stupid. As I say this, I feel stupid. But anyways, but, Justin. But, but psychics have the room to be optimistic. So so I, I, I think what you're saying is that one of the reasons we might also like uh, fantasy novels for those of us who do, mm-hmm, or the mm-hmm, expanded mm-hmm. various cinematic universes, which some of us might, is because we want something beyond our reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, our reality, if you read the news, it can be kind of depressing, can be frustrating, can yeah. be scary, yeah, can be yeah, sad, yeah. it can yeah. feel outside of our control. So if it's going to be outside of our control anyway, let's believe there's something magical that takes us beyond ourselves. And oh. I could see I could see that being an argument. About the post-pandemic like thing, that. just a quick note. Um, we have a definite divide in my household. I wanted TV shows that took place in 2021, 2022 to show people in masks. And my wife absolutely did not. She was like, "I we see masks in our real life. I don't want to see them on TV. Wait, you wanted to see that? I wanted TV shows. So This Is Us when it came back after the pandemic yeah, break. They had the first episode, stuff. they had one mask for like 10 seconds. And yeah. I was... And I wanted, I actually thought there was more plots to engage. So that counters the argument I was just making. Maybe that means I'm on the therapy side and not the psychic side, yeah, yeah, which yeah, actually yeah. isn't how our family would play out. So um, confusing, confusing, confusing. Also, I mean, honestly, you're the first person I've ever met that wants to see more masks in TV shows. I thought you were going to say you're the first 45-year-old dude referencing This Is Us. But we know that's not true. We know that we all reference This Is Us. Uh, I had a This Is Us uh, finale party. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I mean, I watched This Is Us, but that is next level. <laughs> well, no. And by finale party, I mean two friends came okay, over. Okay. That's and, more normal. Um, and and I, do, I believe that one of them was a 45-year-old dude. There you go. <laughs> um, I feel so, seen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're ridiculous. Anyways. Okay, folks, what do you think? Are you going to a psychic? Which, again, 
I have literally gone to a psychic. Oh, yeah. So like this is no, in no way a judgment. Mm-hmm. Also, at what Susie said at the top, they did this article was chock full of of psychics saying be careful of psychics. <laughs> yeah. So so please be careful of psychics. It sounds like those psychics really really knew. Yeah. They had a psychic premonition to beware other psychics. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, let's take a quick break so we can learn about our sponsor. And then when we come back, we'll continue our chatter. Today's show is sponsored by Prose. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation will be taken off. That's Pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So, pros.com slash fake the nation. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things. And I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app. And I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money. And because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket 
pocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. And we are back and we're ready with topic number two. Okay, so at the time of this taping, it is um, Wednesday, uh, early afternoon. Uh, Jim Jordan is in the process. He just, I guess you just looked it up. He won, he lost, he lost the first round of votes, right? Is is losing. He is losing well, the second fr- round, right? He, the, he oh, had a round, round yesterday, so yeah. Right. Right, sorry. His sorry, yes. It's honestly it's confusing. It's his second round because Scalise like didn't even go through a round. Is that right? He went through one round. But and, and then was, and right? then was like, I'm not no, I think he like they did like a uh, this is like confusing, but and then there was another guy that like got in there because he was like, This is gross, and then he just wanted to like mess it up a little. Point is it's confusing. There's two rounds. Jim Jim Jordan has n- has not won so far. But let's talk quickly about who he is and how he might have done it. Um, I should note that he is a right-wing pro-insurrectionist. And in the interest of not being all negative, um, I should also note that he does speak like... um, uh, he Okay, so he's an insurrectionist, but like he's... strings together some nice sentences. <laughs> I don't even know where is this going. <laughs> no, because I don't um <laughs> I don't want to just la- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to be nice. Anyways, um uh I heard an interview with him and it and I disliked almost everything he said, but like I didn't think he sat like I did appreciate like his conviction. Like, it feels like he believes his things. Which I, you know, but I think the things that he believes are uncool. Okay, so <laughs> I, I also should note that he doesn't have a huge legislative track record. Mm. Um, kind of like no real legislative track record is, I think, a fair way of saying that. And then also, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think he's passed a single piece of legislation. Yes, right. That's a, that's a, <laughs> right. That's right. That is right. Um, I don't know why I'm being so so sensitive to Jim Jordan's feelings. Do you think he would be this sensitive to my feelings? A hundred percent, no. But also, in your defense, I don't think the GOP likes Jim Jordan. Like, I don't oh, yeah, think I only I... you are struggling to find something nice to say about Jim Jordan. They all hate him, which is why. That's right. That's right. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know because I'm like, oh, he has probably a family who loves him. Okay. So, anyways, <laughs> his main accomplishments are actually derailing legislation, mm-hmm. um, which you know, it which makes me feel like he's in the wrong job, like just to begin with. Um, but what? I guess, what do you think about this process? It has been confusing. Scalise has sort of withdrawn his name because he's just like, even though he's like sort of favored, let's call it a moderate, um, mm-hmm. Jim Jordan ends up sort of barreling through, through like bullying tactics. Uh, Sean Hannity was involved. People were bullied publicly. I don't know. So I don't know. What do you guys make of this process and what do you think is happening? We're, we're watching a, a circus on top of a meltdown, on top of a train wreck. That could still end up with Jim Jordan being the speaker. That's the absurd part of all. <laughs> Everything about this is messy from the fact that Scalise gets more votes in their caucus and that somehow leads to Jim Jordan's bullying, making him 
the next the next likely speaker. Uh, everything about this is is screwy and messy. And yet, by the time people hear this recording, he might be the speaker or he might have lost or he might have withdrawn or they might do 15 more rounds tomorrow. It, it's and any of those is is kind of equally likely depending on what eight or 10 vulnerable, I won't even call them moderate, vulnerable Republicans decide to do with their votes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of depressing, to be honest. I mean, there's like a world war about to start and these guys can't get their act together. It's. I think it's been almost two weeks now, right? Or maybe more than two weeks where they haven't had a Speaker of the House. So, I mean, in, in general, I think this just speaks to what's happening in the GOP, which is that, you know, the Trump wing of the party still wants to rule with an iron fist, but that's getting harder and harder. And I think this Jordan vote, the fact that he's going to go to two votes. And I think this Jim Jordan vote is a an example of just how much disarray they're in, because, you know, he's going to lose two votes and it's because everybody hates him. I mean, he's a real jerk in mm-hmm. in in the house like he and John is really Bainier to refer to him as a legislative terrorist and Liz Cheney said he can't be trusted with the constitution so those are just two fun quotes from yeah I mean he's just GOP. very very <laughs> the mean to his fellow <laughs> house members yeah I mean my favorite story in all of this because I just love like how childish and petty it seems like <laughs> how much they all seem like they're like boys in high school like jockeying for position is that there's a rumor that when Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise met after Steve Scalise um, won the first nomination, that Jim Jordan had a temper tantrum and said to him, you know, if you lose one round, then I'm going to run and America wants me and stormed out of his office. Like I'm the eldest boy. Exactly. (laughs) I'm the eldest boy. Like, it's just so funny to me that he thinks he's going to win through temper tantrum. But I think maybe that's what Trump taught these guys, that that works. But it's kind of surprising to see, you know, people in the the party starting to stand up to these guys like well yeah let's let's talk about that really quick you said it's getting harder and harder for the trumpists to rule with an iron fist i mean justin do you feel that's true this claim that Susie is making i I, (laughs) don't know i don't know i I, in in some ways the hard right wing whether you call them trumpists or not they're the ones who derailed mccarthy derailed scalise and are now supporting jordan so in some ways uh, they haven't won yet, but they're they're showing that they are capable of defeating others within their party. Uh, some of it might not come down to whether Jim Jordan is qualified or not, but might actually come down to like at what point do other House members tire of not having a speaker? Uh, does the House need a speaker is maybe an interesting question, but in practicality, evidently it does need a speaker if they want to do things like pass continuing resolutions to keep the government open. And you might get to a point that at a certain date, some people say, we just need to, that mop. That mop can be the speaker. Oh, Jim Jordan standing in front of that mop, we'll vote for him instead. Like that's what it might come down to yeah. is who is standing at the moment that people decide we we need somebody who can hold the gavel. And it's scary that thanks to the bullying tactics, thanks to this kind of um, uh, you know high school jockeying that, uh, that Jim Jordan might be the one who's standing there when folks finally decide we just need somebody to at least conduct business around here. Is there uh there's no do you, do either of you see some sort of like glorious scenario where like there's like a wonderfully centrist person that with the help of the Democrats like gets voted uh, in? I don't think there's a glory scenario. It's hard to picture, <laughs> but I do think there's a scenario that's being floated a lot, which is that there's this um, interim speaker, Patrick Henry. And oh, yeah, that guy it yeah. sounds like what they're going to do. The GOP is thinking of doing is if Jordan loses this vote and you know decides to go for another or doesn't, that they could actually empower him to be able to do some of the role of the speaker so that they wouldn't have so much urgency around getting a speaker oh. in place. Um, and that guy was appointed by um, Kevin McCarthy. So I think he has some stake in that. Like, that's his guy. So yeah. it sounds like that's what's happening in the background now from what I read in, like, Politico. I mean, so because I'm not on the Hill, so I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> um 
And I think that's actually not a bad solution. That's because, not like, a bad solution. That guy's kind of a moderate, and at least they could get some work done. I mean, I am very it's worried because he also doesn't want that job, which I think is, I mean, <laughs> yeah. is, is it's which is great because it's like he does, he's not in in it for the fucking glory. He hates that idea. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants this job who has like a you know who has any self respect. I mean, they're yeah. so mean to you in this job. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, it really terrible. gives you. I have to say, I know people are gonna like you know add us about this, but it really does make you admire Nancy Pelosi. She ran her caucus like she knew what she was doing. Whatever you feel about her or don't feel about her, she would not have overseen a mess like this. Like this would not have happened under her watch. And I think that's something the GOP needs to figure out. Justin, final Uh, thoughts on this? Well, I was just thinking that uh, that McHenry it would be a phenomenal sort of house of cards intrigue if the way he got to be speaker was he got himself added to the secret list by Kevin McCarthy, ousted McCarthy, defeated Scalise, defeated Jordan, <laughs> convinced Republicans to change the rules of what a temporary speaker could be so that he could wield a mild gavel. And that, that he's in fact the uh, the right. Sith Lord behind all right. of this. That's some house of cards shit. Him, like him that, and his bow tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> hilarious. I, li- I like that. Let's, let's float that theory hard <laughs> so that it gets into the to Politico and then start people start being like this is what's happening um, okay let's move on to another aspect of politics which is um, we're, you know the the war is obviously still going on the atrocities are still happening it's really depressing but I wanted to talk about one angle of it which is that universities have had an interesting time with the discussion around the war in the Middle East one student group in Harvard blame Israel for the violence Lawrence Sumner's um uh, Sorry, Lawrence Summers, a former university president, also a treasury secretary, condemned the uh, administration, Harvard's administration, for not speaking up and making a statement. Uh, that's one example. Columbia University closed its campus to the public last Thursday because two student protests um, planned, um, you know, at the same on the same day. Um, they were all, it happened also after a, a, an Israeli student was allegedly assaulted with a stick. Um, posed security risks, uh, so they closed off campus. There have been clashes at Indiana University, at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. It's a mess out there. Uh, and my question for the two of you is, uh, what is a university to do? I mean, there's this, there's this question of like, people like Lawrence Summers being like, there should be a definitive statement. Harvard needs to put out a statement, you know. Um, What do you think is a a university's role in a situation like this? So I I think it's complicated, right? Because they have made statements in recent years. Like there, there used to be much more of a sense that these universities would stay neutral during conflicts. But you know, I think a lot of universities made statements about Ukraine. They certainly made statements during Black Black Lives Matter. So it's shifted the conversation a little bit. Um, And I think the other thing that has really changed, I think, in our lifetimes is the way we talk about Palestine. Like, I think, you know, when I was in college as a Middle Eastern person, it was very clear to me that I was not really allowed to express any concern for the Palestinian people. It was very much seen as a controversial position. And that feels like it's really fundamentally shifted over the mm-hmm. last, I'd say, five years. And in large part because young Jewish people have come forward and said that they see what's happening and they don't agree with it. So you know, I think this conflict is a little more complicated by that. And so Harvard didn't want to come in and kind of condemn their Palestinian student organizations for making the statement they did. At the same time, you know, Harvard is a business, you know, it's like their endowment is $51 million. So I think what that comes down to is that those donors, for the most part, are still Oh, wait, very pro is billion right billion, billion. With a oh, did i say yeah. billion i meant billion yeah, <laughs> it's billion. so inconceivable yeah, yeah, but it yeah, is yeah. this is by the way the second time because i said patrick henry and i'm pretty sure it was patrick mchenry so i'm yeah. doing a great job today guys oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so good so good guys write everything down that Susie says it's all so accurate it's all fact. i'm a great journalist this award behind me proved it. um but yeah so i mean that those billionaire donors have a strong point of view and i think that's why the president of harvard had to come back and make a second statement that was strong stronger in defense of what you know of israel's position because you know, at the end of the day, that's that money is what makes the decisions at these universities. So I feel like they should do what University of Chicago has done. They just don't take political stands. And that feels right. Like universities should be places where students get to make their own 
decisions and debate and argue. I don't know. I I feel like that, that makes more sense to me. But I don't know. I mean, I know it's complicated. Yeah. I mean, Stanford came out with a policy stressing neutrality. Northwestern um, said that going forward, they would not take a position on geopolitics. Uh, Justin, what do you think of the statement, not statement? Also, um, full disclosure, we're with a Harvard alum, I, so I, I, I've been getting the <laughs> the alum emails of statement after statement sent to the the Harvard alumni community. I I do find it complicated because I don't think universities should stay out of politics completely. Mm. I think there's a great track record of getting universities to be on the right side of civil rights, getting universities to be on the right side of apartheid. So I, I you know, we, uh, when I was there, there was pushes for everything from the progressive student labor movement uh, and, and minimum wages and living wages for employees to uh, getting grapes out of the cafeteria as part of solidarity with grape workers who were on strike. So mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. there are definitely places where the same way, as you point out, Harvard uh, universities are businesses, the same way you would advocate as a consumer to push businesses to have certain practices, yeah. you want to push your universities. And I also think that probably the primary goal, to agree, is that the universities need to make these, make their campuses places where students of disagreeing opinions can fully voice their opinions. So they shouldn't be suppressing uh, uh, protests or statements, and they shouldn't be doing or allowing what's happened at Harvard where students have been doxxed. Uh, granted, Harvard did not do this, but people have been running mobile billboards with the names of students who signed certain letters to publicly shame and humiliate. And so those are wealthy bullies that are separate from the university, but, but uh, that should be condemned, that kind of bullying, because this is actually a place where... Um, where voices can be shared, where opinions can be shared. And I do think, I think pro primarily what I would ask is uh, not just, if it's just about the statements, we're not getting to a depth of it. Uh, where a university has financial interests and they can do something with that money, then you actually should be asking them to to stand on some premise, uh, on some principle with their money. Uh, the, the parallel I think of is that I've been seeing debates among like the PTAs of Brooklyn, where I live, of like, should our PTA make a statement? And it's like, I don't know, before or after the advertisement about the bake sale and the fun run. It's like, it's like, I, I do think, I do think PTAs and universities and the DOE and places need to affirm the safety and the dignity of all the people within their communities. Um, but they don't necessarily. Not everyone's statement is that useful on everything, unless there's. Um, a fundamental way that they're involved. Some some universities like Harvard are so big and do have a stake in it, and I do hope that they uh, find a way to to prioritize differing opinions and respect for political speech and fundamentally the safety of their students and professors and staff as well in, in the course of it. That's interesting. I I also wonder, like when you were at school or when I was at school, if there was a difference between the kids, you know, because I remember mm. we would we were always like marching and shit for like um, raising minim the minimum wage for like student workers or stuff like that. I don't I don't I don't quite remember. You know, we we were we were um, protesting like how the 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 kind of segregation that en ended up happening with housing and and blah 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 not like it was it was just sort of like natural segregation that ended up happening the university did change their policies because of our protesting um but it was sort of like student driven mobilization that changed the university's policies versus a university making a statement from the top down you know what i mean yes. there's like a, a little bit of a difference there um i don't i think like a student driven mobilization i think that's great i think that's good yeah. like people and and i also think um and if you look at it as something like oh how should the endowment be invested okay like i don't want it to be invested in fossil fuels for right. example and that's a political yeah. statement and the in the university would have to make a, a political statement. So I think it's true that like, I think the I can see what Stanford's doing. I could see what Northwestern's doing. That makes total sense. Don't get involved, whatever. Just let students have their ideas and express them on the quad as they're playing Frisbee. But also um, you are making political statements with how you, you know, how you operate as a university, how you invest with your endowment. I mean, there's a lot of statement making going on all the time in I, other ways. I'm almost more invested in the 
the fights, the governance fights, the mobilizations, the students that, that determine how things are invested and what's taught. I, I think some of the statement fascination and statement fatigue is because of this age of Twitter. It's like yeah. a company can make a statement by sending a tweet. You know, in the 1980s and 1990s and 2000s, like we don't know, like we knew if Coca-Cola was paying their workers or not, not if they said something in honor of National Workers Day. Right. They were. We didn't yeah. know if like Crest toothpaste was <laughs> on the side of Ukraine or whatever, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Like it was, yeah. And I, I have to say too, just in general about everybody, you know, I just, I feel like we don't need to ourselves as individuals feel the need or any kind of pressure to have a position. It's okay if this if the if the an issue is too complex or whatever, too nuanced for you to take a position on Instagram. I don't like I just I I don't know. I yearn for the days when it was just like, "Oh my god, did you see this person from high school is now on Facebook?" <laughs> like, let's go back to that a little bit. Like it doesn't have to be these like just these dark intense statements that everybody's making from like their kitchens you know like why why also I think the thing that's been interesting that I've sort of seen is that people assumed if you didn't make a statement you somehow were Mm. for the like Hamas attack which I think is just a very strange assumption like I think we can all assume that the baseline is that you're not for like a horrible massacre of people. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I think we that's, like, a, there's that's a an easy like, assumption. Yeah. Yeah. And I think instead there's kind of this demand that everyone contribute to the noise. And I agree. I don't think that noise is useful. It's certainly not useful in a situation like this where there's a lot of complication and nuance. Um, but, you know, I think you guys have like convinced me. I agree now. I think universities should be more involved. <laughs> Why aren't they standing on the right side of history? God damn it. I've been wrong so much today. It's really yeah, so much. Guys, do not write down anything Susie says. She has no idea what she's but talking about. But definitely listen to my podcast. My opinions there are <laughs> In amazing. retrospect, subscribe, subscribe. All right, folks, um, let me know what you think. And in the meantime, we will move on to topic number three. Uh, So a new study finds that shouting at, denigrating, or verbally threatening children can be as damaging to their development as sexual or physical abuse. Now, this is a little bit of an obviously, Mm. but I I worry. Okay, this is I was a little bit surprised that shouting can carry the same developmental issue, um, same can can have the same kind of developmental damage as uh, other forms of abuse. Was that surprising to either of you? If by surprising, as a fellow parent of small children, you mean I really don't want that to be true, then yes, I was quite surprised and a little bit in denial of that. No, it it obviously makes sense to me that verbal abuse is a serious matter. I kept rereading that article to assure myself, to assuage my guilt that that the periodic shouting and verbal abuse are different somewhere, different, which, yeah. which this article was not long enough to get into. But I, I have, I, I 100% believe that uh, that verbal abuse is terrible. Let me be on the record. Let me make my statement on that. <laughs> my, my university does the same. Uh, but it is, it is, it is hard. It is hard not it's to sometimes hard. shout to be heard because they're so loud and they're such bad listeners. They're so loud, <laughs> and they don't, they don't want to do anything that is right in the moment <laughs> no, never. you know what i mean and they all, and they're very hell-bent on destruction um it's their little like rogue nations and it's tough and and for what it's worth i then recognize with some humility and, and shame that shouting didn't help anything yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it clearly doesn't uh and yet sometimes it's just the only way to make yeah. a goddamn yeah. point <laughs> yeah i mean not proud of it I think to okay to be fair to me and Justin, who now seem like we're just verbal abusers, is that is like is that how we're painting ourselves? Only to children. No verbal abuse. Okay, I I understand. (laughs) No, and I mean like okay, like and and you both like seen me with my kid. Like I, I think what I think the verbal abuse in this is probably in this study is a different level of like Mm, can you just pick up your Legos for the 14th time or whatever. Like, I think it's different. I mean, and also, like, there's been a couple of times where I've yelled 
And then I've had to do a pull aside mm. with my daughter and be like, listen, I did it. I shouldn't have yelled like that. I'm really sorry. And, you know, because they say, as I talk to my therapist about this. Back to therapy. <laughs> Back to I therapy. Talk to my about I talked to my psychic about this. <laughs> and what the tarot card said was that what you should do is if you do have like a yelling event, because everybody, every parent does, you then immediately mend it. Like, don't wait or whatever. It's like the not mend. I mean, don't yell and mend constantly because that's not good. But if you yell, let's say you're doing a once every couple of months yell, you yell and then you mend and you're just like, I'm really sorry. Like, I, uh, you know, that was a difficult situation for me and I lost my temper and like I didn't and that was not good. I don't want to do that. I'm really sorry, whatever. And parents make mistakes and all that shit, you know. So, um. That's, I think, yeah. And I have to say, like, as a playground parent, I will see occasionally, very seldomly, actually, um, a parent yell at their kid, and I feel horrible, like, just to hear it in the vicinity. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, is that what that sounds like? It's uh, it's fucking horrible, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Susie, where, where do you stand? I mean, I'm going to do what parents love, which is as someone who doesn't have kids, I'm going to give you my opinions on yes, like to raise yes. children. Parents will love this. Yes. And experience. then also tell us how awesome your nightlife is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my life is amazing. I mean, I do have a dog, so it's basically parenting right now. <laughs> um, I know that's not true. Um, I mean, I had the exact same reaction to this piece. I was like, what's the line exactly like where does it go from just like a little frustration to verbal abuse like it feels like I don't know I mean again like we're Iranian like we're just loud talkers <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what counts is shouting yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I actually I think your psychic slash therapist is right about this like I think people do lose their temper or they get frustrated and part of what you're I assume you want to teach your children is how to cope when that happens, right? So mm -hmm. that they see that when you do that, you respond to it in a healthy way. You apologize or you process it with them yeah. as opposed to just like shout verbal abuse at them, <laughs> like yeah. berate them and then be like, you're the worst and I hate you and leave, right? I mean, that's obviously, I think we know the difference between those two things. So I think modeling like healthy coping mechanisms with your feelings is not the worst thing in the world but again i'm not a parent so i feel like my opinions about this should come with an asterisk which is i'm like it's great like i'm an aunt i get to like come hang out with your kids i'm super fun i spoil them and then i get to go away so even if i'm terrible you know nobody really remembers <laughs> <laughs> answer the best answer the best i i i do think that um Another technique that I, I know about is sort of if you shout and you lose, you're, you're basically throwing a tantrum as well as a grown up, uh, sometimes in some of these cases. And the same way that maybe if a child who has a tantrum, you give them a timeout, it's not even necessarily a punishment. It's a way for them to remove themselves from the situation, be someplace that is safe, let the storm pass. You as a grown up Need, can, can take yeah. your own timeout. It's not the kid's place to tell you to take a timeout, but you could be like, I need to go to my other room right now. Yeah. And then you come back. So you're modeling actually that a timeout isn't a stigma. It's something that we all need. And Susie, as a new dog owner, I'm very new to this. <laughs> yes, I'm actually yes. seeing some of the same parallels. I I 100% shout at my dog sometimes. And then I'll see <laughs> other people shouting at their dogs. I'll be like, dude, terrible. the dog doesn't understand what you're saying. This is absurd. Why are you shouting at your dog? And I'm like, oh, that's what I look like when I shout at my dog or my kids. They're like, there are parallels here that I think are quite apt. But as somebody uh, okay, who's only great. had a dog for like but four I weeks, also, you can judge me. I also think, oh my God, four weeks in on a dog. I just want you to tell you it gets better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, the funny thing is they the don't beginning. sleep through the night. The funny <laughs> yeah. thing is, right? Like at four when they're when they're little. I remember. And also my they dog just pee sleeping. everywhere in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. they need constant attention. They chill out. They chill this out. This is similar to children. <laughs> um, totally. Uh, but I also I want to say just in terms of the shout, I what one thing that did make me feel better is. My shouting is really like situation based. <laughs> so like so it it is literally like please put on the socks, like the socks you have to put on the socks and then my like the volume of me mm. saying that goes up, but it's still about <laughs> socks. The shouting that they're talking about in the study is really about like insults, put oh. downs, and name calling, which I think we probably yeah. don't we do. We can all agree. Like, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like that is, and again, like I have heard that on the playground. It, it just this one time I heard it so like intensely, and I, 
as you could, I can't even forget it. Like this one uh. time, like two years ago, I heard a man yell at his child in a way that just felt so horrible. And it was just such a wake up call because there was name calling. There no. was insulting, you know? And it was like, oh God, that five-year-old does not deserve that, you know? And it felt very clear at that moment. You are the collateral trauma damage of that person's verbal abuse. Yeah, right? like yeah you're no, ca- exactly. If I'm you're the carrying it, imagine smoke. that kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Second- if I'm carrying this fucking one memory, like it's, like it scarred me as a witness, um, imagine what it's doing to that kid. Therefore, this, uh, this now... Uh, WHO uh, study <laughs> is real and it is true. Susie, write it down. All right, um, I'm putting it down. <laughs> All right, folks, that is the end of the show. And what a wonderful show it was. What a delight that I got to speak to both of you on the same day at the same time. It's so wonderful. And what I want is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and the, all the wonderful works that you do. Justin Krebs, where do they do that? Oof. Uh, you can check out drinkingliberally.org, which is a national network of political happy hours, and you can find one near you. Or you can take action at moveon.org, where uh, I'm not speaking on behalf of Move On today, but where I do a lot of my political work. And by the way, Justin Krebs is one of the first people that introduced me to the works of Robert Putnam, <laughs> um, upon, um, from which drinking liberally uh, was birthed, I would say, is the philosophical backdrop of that organization. And um, in terms of like building social capital and making it fun like politics should be more fun and you should be able to find people and have a drink and have a laugh and have a chat while mobilizing um and you know people on the show have heard me say this over and over again but uh i really believe in that so definitely look up drinking liberally they there might be a drinking liberally chapter in your town that you can join and i've been to drinking liberally's around the country and they're so fun so join it's just a really great way to be um active and have a good time while you're doing it Susie, where do they find you? Susie Bani Karim. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Susie B N Y C because I signed up for that account when I was like, you know, a young baby. <laughs> and also please listen to In Retrospect with Susie Bani Karim and Jessica Bennett. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, if you don't want to listen, but you just want to give it a five-star rating, we will not object to that. We will not be <laughs> mad at that. <laughs> but please do listen. It would mean a lot to us. We just started, so there's just a few episodes out. It's not a big commitment, guys. It's fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I also, I happen to, uh, I don't know her personally, but I know the work of Jessica Bennett, these two women together, this podcast. Uh, it is a definitely a must-subscribe. So don't forget, in retrospect, subscribe, enjoy, rate, review, do all the things things let's make sure this podcast gets a nice healthy audience all right and you know where to find me and all the things that i do this weekend i'll be at the kennedy center um and then um i'll also i also have dates in philadelphia i'm gonna be at uh the reston community center doing my full hour so if you're in virginia anywhere in virginia i think it's just like maybe a four or five hour drive from the furthest point of virginia um come to reston and see me do my full hour um and and uh, otherwise, uh, I want to thank the, all the people that make our show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. Thanks to Gabby Alter for our theme music. Thanks to everyone at HeadGum for making the show a possibility. Uh, if you have any uh, ideas, questions, concerns, you can email us at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. And you can hear The Golden Bachelor on Friday. Golden Bachelor recaps. Oh, my God. He's a silver fox and he's looking for love. It's such a fun and ridiculous show. Um, So join us on Friday for that. And otherwise, we will be uh, in your earballs on Friday. That was a HeadGum Podcast.